Hello and welcome. I hope you're well and thanks for joining us again for another episode talking all things mental health. Sports are something that I really enjoy and it's a large part of my life, that's for sure. And I'm guessing many other listeners would agree that that's also the case for them. This week we're looking into the sports industry and we're joined with Mark. Now, Mark is one of the original founders of Head in the Game and it's a football-based mental health charity. We talked to Mark about the creation of the charity, the services, group activities that are ongoing and where it's headed in the future. So let's take a listen to the chat that I had with him. So I'm joined with Mark Pinkney, CEO and Director of Head in the Game, a men's mental health support charity. Mark, thank you so much for joining me today. No, you're more than welcome, Toby. Uh, it's an honour to come on board. And uh, yeah, I just want to say well done to you for starting something that's so positive. Thank you very much. That's really, really kind, actually. <laughs> Not many people always like give that um, respect sort of so early on. So really, thank you for that. Um, naturally, you know, the, the topic of mental health, this is a mental health podcast. Can you explain your own past struggles or experiences um, with perhaps poor mental health? Yeah, so for me, um, I've always been really quite fortunate that I came from a very stable family background. Um, growing up, um, I would, you know, didn't struggle with any um, mental health or, or anything like that. However, when I got to my late 20s, early 30s, I just went through two or three really traumatic periods where I I really struggled and the struggles were around three things, so three events that happened to me in a very short period of time. So I lost my job, I got made redundant, which is uh, pretty traumatic in itself. So I had all the concerns about the bills, had all the concerns about, you know, what what am I gonna do next? Um, also in that short period of time, um, there was a breakup of a relationship. So um, the, um, the person I was living with, um, we decided that it was, you know, it was the right thing to, to do to break up. So that was a redundancy, a relationship breakup, and then in that same period of time, um, sadly, my uh, father got a um, very serious uh, cancer diagnosis, which basically meant that he had three, three and a half months to live. So in a very, very short period of time back in 2012, these three events really just took its toll on me. And I didn't really know what I was suffering with. I didn't know what what it was um, and because those three events were all very traumatic in different ways they had kind of different types of effects on me so like a lot of people and as i say you know late 20s early 30s i didn't quite know how to deal with that i didn't quite know how to express to others how i was feeling and i kind of fell down that rocky road of going out partying hiding the hiding my real thoughts, hiding how I was really feeling and ended up drinking far too much alcohol, getting myself into situations that weren't, you know, which weren't good. And that went on for about three or four months. And I think, I, I think I was in a really bad place. I don't think I know I was in a really, really bad place. And it only really came to fruition once, and it sounds really, really strange to say this, but once my father passed away, once I found a new job, and once I realised that I didn't have to be in a relationship, I kind of found myself in a situation where I could start to deal with the the negative um, mental health effects that it had had on me. So, yeah, it was a really it was a really really dark period, and it was it was funny. It was only really when <laughs> um, a lodger, um, a, a, a guy that I knew um, from from a few years back, came to um, he needed somewhere to stay for a bit. 
Um, and I said, you can come and sleep in the spare room, you know, if, if, if you wish. And he was also going through a difficult time with his with his mental health. And we kind of we kind of formed this this really unusual bond where we were both really struggling, but we were almost kind of unknowingly supporting each other. But we didn't know until we moved in together that we were in that in that kind of strange place together. So, yeah. And it, it was from there where I really started to take a lot more interest in mental health. And, you know, thankfully, I was able to get the right um, the right support, the right type of counselling. Um, and it really was a catalyst for a lot of the stuff that, you know, that we do now. Yeah. And I think also as men, you know, we bury a lot of these problems that we have. We we put on a mask, we try and cover it up and we try and ignore. And it certainly sounds there that it was almost that was your first plan and it didn't and it always never works. And before you know it, life catches up with you. And it's interesting that you, you found that companionship. And like you say, you, you didn't realise that that was what you was needing. But it, of course, that's what you needed. Um, but when you look back and you deny it, it's, um, you know, something that you would have never thought of. Um, so talking about, you know, now the creation of Head in the Game, what's your link to that to where you know your personal journey leads to mm. as to what made you create this so um two things toby the first one being um my lodger or my housemate um at the time um it turns out he was very close to uh, taking his own life when we were living together um and i didn't know that um you know i would i would go off to work and i would go off and you know do my thing and then i'd you know sort of bump into him at sort of six seven o'clock at night and we'd have some dinner and then come on telly and all that sort of thing but what i didn't realize was that at that point he wasn't going to work he was he was staying in bed all day and would just put on a little bit of a brave face when i when, when i came home and you know that was that was difficult because i knew something was wrong but i didn't know how to address it with him i didn't know how to ask him and the longer it went on, the more helpless that I felt. And I felt helpless for me, but also helpless for him, because he, in many ways there was probably a, a cry for help there. And I suppose the reason, one of the main reasons we set up Head in the Game is that is that situation is probably replayed time and time and time again. But it's not two friends, you know, living together. It's guys you know, living with their parents, living with their partners, living with their husbands, wives, et cetera, et cetera. So I suppose one of the main motivators for doing this was to address the address the issue of suicide and to create something that is a very preventative measure in terms of stopping men ever getting to that point. And a lot of what we do at Head in the Game is very preventative. It's very much about telling people or, or kind of explaining to people why they feel the way that they do um, rather where some other services or some other charities as great as they are you can only really access them once you've got maybe a mental health diagnosis we want to make this available for um, we want to make this available for men you know pretty much of, of, of any age group who need something like this in their life but possibly don't know the reasons why yeah and, and I, it feels like there as a preventative measure you're just encouraging you know average men to come along and just start talking about their feelings and the way they mm. you know have problems in life and almost using it as a safe space to you know like you say just talk about things before they become a major problem in our lives and I think um 
preventative measures are by far the most um, beneficial out there because although people won't realise how much of an asset they are, when they don't have those services, they then realise how susceptible they are to you know, poor mental health and struggling with things like anxiety because they have perhaps the the group there. Um, you know, now the services that you offer and, you know, how it helps men's mental health and what it offers to your members, what, what does it sort of do? You know, we, we've spoke about it's a um, charity, but, you know, what, what activities do you actually do? Because it's, it's a football-based, you know, charity. It is. Um, so basically what we do is we offer um, 12 week programs. Um, we started off um, during the COVID-19 pandemic or off the back of the COVID-19 pandemic. And what we wanted to do was create safe spaces for men to come together, um, primarily to talk. Um, but we use football as the hook. So the way our sessions work is uh, they're an hour long and we will spend the first maybe five to 10 minutes talking about a mental health topic, um, different topic each week. So we cover things like sleep anxiety um rating system so you can you know judge judge how you're feeling and we use a number system to do that um so yeah that's 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 the main part of it um we'll then do a couple of main drills um basic football drills mixed ability stuff so it's nothing too taxing for you know players who might not be um, as good as football as as others um and then towards the end of the session that's when we bring the group back together and it's more of a reflective practice where we talk about how we feel after we've done the uh, we've done the football and we've done the talking at the beginning. And what we found with that is that because it's over a 12 week period, the guys will start to um, form friendships. They'll start to bond. And that's absolutely, absolutely key to all of this, because we're stood on a football pitch. We're stood in a big circle, you know, all around the centre circle, the 18 yard box and we're being upfront and we're being honest. We're doing it in an environment that is very much centred around that. So the whole sporting element, you know, the football element of teamwork, helping each other out. Um, we're harnessing some of those things from the game and taking it into our everyday lives. And it's it's wonderful to see how quickly people open up and start to talk because everyone's there for the same reason. And it's 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 a really, really incredible see and you know we've run 250 sessions across Kent, London um, and parts of South Yorkshire and I'm still blown away every time I see that first session where you've got like 20 guys who have never met before and within sort of 10-15 minutes they're explaining their life story and they're telling you know telling this group of guys about some of the you know some of the dark things that have happened to them in terms of their mental health and it's a it's a really important support network I think that's the key thing. Yeah, and often, you know, with sports, it's certainly proven having a hobby or a sport that you enjoy and, mm. you know, friends around you, there's the benefits that come from that, that, you know, you've got active and ongoing group therapy there. You've got activity, which is good for, you know, your endorphins to get your muscles pumping and your blood pumping around your body, um, adrenaline. And, you know, it gives that sense of um, certainly routine and group environments, you know, group based um, therapy are really proven to, you know, increase um, the feelings and lower anxiety, increase mood. And um, yeah, obviously give that safety blanket because then you feel that out of you know that activity you can speak to these you know teammates mm. and and go forward with that one of the key things we do as well toby which is which is really important is when we're delivering these sessions and we're talking about a different mental health topic each week 
we talk about the science behind it as well. So you can probably find loads of services or loads of self-help things online that will tell you this is this is why you're feeling this way and this is the reasons. But we go into the science into it. So, you know, men, we like facts. We like to know, you know, we like, we, we like details on things and we will talk about why our brains are reacting that way and why certain um, certain activities or certain things that we do will have either a positive or negative effect on the chemical levels in our brains, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, rather than just saying, guys, you're feeling this way because of this, we want them to go away with a little bit of knowledge themselves. So when they sometimes do go away and have poor periods of mental health, at least they can understand what's going on inside the brain rather than, you know, is this me? Is this something that I'm doing? No, it's not. It's a chemical imbalance. And the reason why it's happening is because of X, Y and Z. Yeah. And it's it's hard because, you know, it must be difficult, certainly for yourself that, you know, you're trying to run a sport and you're, you're trying to deal with, you know, um, a lot of group members mental health and it can be a difficult thing to try and balance and to try and ensure that people are getting the enjoyment they need to out of it but also you're you're there as a facilitator really for the event and the activity but keeping an eye on this group of lads really to ensure that everyone leaves that day and is going to return the next week you know I'm I'm sure that must be certainly with some group members you must have had instances where you you can notice that particular group members might be struggling more than most. 100% and you know that's why I'm really fortunate to have such a wonderful team around me Um, something that's really important about this whole process is um, we've got 12 volunteers uh, who volunteer at the sessions and all of them are ex-participants so they are people that's been through the 12-week program they are guys who have experienced it and they want to give something back and we say right well the best way to do that is to become a volunteer so we almost have two or three um i call them friends friends in the group um who will be sometimes our eyes and ears so if we're running you know if we're running a football session or a drill or you know you've got 20 guys in front of you you might be talking to someone else about something we've then got the volunteers who are continuing those conversations as well and ensuring that no one gets left behind here the other thing that works really really well in this is that we've got private and closed whatsapp groups for all the sessions that we run so you know during the week we're running on a usual week um three to four sessions um across london on the southeast or south yorkshire so we have closed whatsapp groups which only include members of that of that group um and it's a it's a free space for them to talk free space for them to talk free space for them to share um we have one facilitator um, which is usually a member of, of my team who will just keep an eye on the um safeguarding side of things um but yeah, that, that space sometimes is just as powerful as standing there on the pitch because they know that if they send a, a WhatsApp message at five o'clock on a Friday afternoon, that there are going to be 19 other guys who they know, who they trust, who they've opened up to before, they will get a response, they will get a reply. And yeah, I've, I've lost count of the number of times I've sent a message and I'm like, okay, this person's obviously struggling. And before I've had a chance to pick up the phone to them, two or three members of that group have actually reached out and said, I'm available to talk, I'm available to to listen. So it's a really important thing, and I'm sure you've heard this many times, Toby, on the podcast, is that, you know, the talking is really important, but also the action and supporting people, even if it is just lending them an ear for five, ten minutes so they can just get it off their chest, is so, so important. 
Yeah, definitely. We've actually had guests that have previously mentioned that it's not that men don't want to talk. Men want to talk. We want to talk about our feelings, but sometimes we just don't have the services there that are available. And, it, it, you know, I know we're saying men. It's not just men. But in regards to what you just said about free services, not everyone is blessed enough that they can afford these services. And it always makes me laugh when I can see celebrities or things like that who would say that they they find it annoying when they hear other people talking about past traumas or you know struggles they have but not everyone can afford therapy and this is the big take take away from it really um which is fantastic you know to hear the work that you're doing what would you what would you say then you know future goals for head in the game what are you aspiring to to do in the future yeah well it's funny you should say that actually because if you'd asked me that question six months ago I, I would have said um it would be amazing if we could somehow find a way of getting the message nationally and um last sunday we were honored to be on match of the day um we we, we did some work with um with brentford football club and it was featured on match of the day's community um community section and then later on in the day gary lineker tweeted about heading the game so if you'd asked me that six months ago that's what i would have said so i've now got to raise that bar just a little <laughs> bit higher um but speaking of brentford and some of the other clubs that we've worked with millwall charn athletic um, you know, Maidstone United, we've worked with a few clubs now. Um, we're very, very ambitious in terms of ensuring that the the message gets out there uh, and the messaging is is correct. And, and the reason why we chose those clubs is that they've all got really good track records of um, community work, which is really, really important, but also promoting positive mental health practices. And if a you know if a Premier League football team is um, working in collaboration with someone like Head in the Game and they put a tweet out or a Facebook message, that's going to reach hundreds of thousands of people. Some clubs even even millions. So that's really really important for us that we continue to grow and we continue to have those types of um, partnerships with professional football clubs because that gets the messaging right out there. Um, but there are a few more things that are a little bit closer to home. You know we're we want to be recognised nationally. I think that's that, that's something that is really, really important. And like I said, we started off from very small beginnings in um, in Thanet, in Kent. We've done some work with the London clubs. We've done some work down in Sussex. We've just started to do some work up in um, up in Yorkshire. Um, but a key thing is, and I think you mentioned it earlier on, Toby, a little bit around um, the women's game. So, you know, we've, we've worked really hard for the last um, two and a half, nearly three years now to build a an expertise around supporting men. Um, it's become apparent because we've had so many requests and we've had a lot of conversations with a lot of interested parties around how we replicate this model and support the women's game. Now, obviously the um, England women did fantastically well last summer uh, winning, the, uh, winning the Euros. And hopefully again this summer they'll do equally as well in the World Cup, I'm not trying to put them under any pressure. Um, <laughs> but England expects. Um, but there's going to be a huge um, spotlight and a huge focus on the women's game again this summer. And with that, there comes, um, I think there comes a responsibility for organisations like us. And that responsibility is to look at how we support the women's game better in terms of the um, mental health practices. So that's something that's really key. We have had some discussions with uh, a few football clubs around that, but we recognise that we need to um, diversify a little bit because 
95% of our team are men. And we recognise that there are differences in the way that you would support men and men's mental health and women and women's mental health. So, um, yeah, that, that that's a big thing for us. And we've got, you know, we've got some really good people who, um, some really good women, actually, who are very keen on helping us get that off the ground. So, yeah, that's going to be a, a big, big thing for us, um, hopefully in the in the autumn and towards the end of 2023. No, that sounds great. And yeah, expanding in there to, to females and, you know, the, the, the female football, you know, leagues really uh, is mm. what you're going to want to do because you want to expand what you do, it, you know, the formula works. So why wouldn't you expand to, uh, you know, other avenues? And that's what's brilliant, really. And where you've branched there about your partnerships and what you've done, you know, fantastic to be on Match of the Day as well. You know, that's that, you know, you must have felt so proud, obviously, when that came off and to to think of where you started to where it is now. Think, you know, looking at professional sports, what do you think in regards to mental health are the, are the topics that are really really plaguing us um, Mm -hmm. and plaguing players or, you know, semi-professionals who are looking to get into that industry. What do you feel that is really hot topics with um, mental health? Two or three things. And again, it's something that we've had discussions about before. Um, Players being released, um, especially young players. Um, I can't think of another industry where you... Uh, decide you want to do something when you're five six years old you work tremendously hard towards it you give up all of your time you spend all of your time getting good at it and then when you get to 18 19 and you are so close to so close to getting there that you're told thanks but no thanks Um, and then your world crumbles and, and, and falls to pieces and I know there are some really good charities out there and some good support networks but you know when you're 19 years of age and I'll just say Nottingham Forest because the first team that came into my mind, you know, if you, you know, if you've been let go by Nottingham Forest or Leicester City or I don't know Stoke City or or whoever, and you don't know where to turn next, and you don't, you know, you, you don't have a job, you don't, you know, you you haven't, you haven't grown up in in the same way as as maybe some other people have. If you've only been surrounded by football and football clubs and football academies and and etc cetera, etc, cetera, you know, I'd imagine it's it, it's pretty daunting and. You know, we've met a few people along the journey over the last few years who have suffered that. And it is it is really, really difficult because not all of the coaches are mentally health trained. You know, they, 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 they don't always know how to handle those difficult conversations. And I've seen kids as young as 12, 13 being released from, from academies and they're told that, you know, Chelsea don't want you, Manchester United don't want you, Spurs don't want you. You know, what's the next option? And you know, for some of them, it means going back to their Sunday league team. And it's, you know, that, that, that that's difficult at such a young age. So I think there definitely needs to be um, more of a, a safety net, um, f- certainly for young players. Um, someone who we've become very close to, um, an ex-professional footballer, a chap by the name of Stephen Reid, who uh, played for Millwall, um, Blackburn Rovers, Republic of Ireland, went to a World Cup in 2002. Um we, he's been a great supporter of ours um, and he's been to a couple of our sessions and he came to a memorial football match that we had at the Den a few weeks ago. And um, I, I would suggest any of your listeners go and um, look on Amazon. There's a, um, a documentary that he did um, and it was all about it was all about the subject that we're talking about here, ex-players and where to go next. But also there's another side of it, which is current professional footballers who are suffering from mental health and anxiety because of the strains and the stress and the pressure of the game. 
and it's I think it's still on Amazon. Um, I think it went out on Sky initially, but then it, I think it's still on Amazon Prime. Um, and it's a really, really interesting view. And Steve actually left um, Nottingham Forest last summer. Um, he was the assistant coach there um, after coaching um, the Scotland national team or assistant coach of the Scotland national team, um, Crystal Palace with Roy Hodgson. And he quit. He, he, he quit to focus on um, supporting people with their mental health. He's, he's also undertaken a, a master's and a PhD, I think, in, in psychology. So here's a guy who's, you know, probably earned millions of pounds in his career, um, was doing fantastically well as an assistant manager, assistant coach with a team in the Premier League, who has now decided that he wants to dedicate his professional career to supporting others and telling his story. And it's it's that, that rung alarm bells for me because I was like, wow, that says to me that there's there's definitely there's definitely a lot of players who are struggling and probably don't have the right avenues to be able to express that. Yeah, and there's so many things that can be at play here, especially with professional sport. It's you know, football alone, you've got media attention, injury like you say, being released from a club, I, I can't imagine, you know, even in my profession, just being told one day that you're not needed. That's like the equivalent of being fired, but you don't even have a second job to go to. You've got to start yeah. all over again. And being, you know, under 18 and being told that, it's not something that you're going to bounce back at quickly. You're not going to be equipped mm-hmm. how to deal with that. You know, certainly with the hundreds of stories you'll see out there where people's mental health and we've previously had a guest from uh, the team GB cycling team. And when coronavirus happened and the Olympics was canceled, he was told you've got to restart. You can't guarantee that you're going to be in the next Olympics. And you, and it's like he trained for, you know, years to get to that point and was in an Olympics. Then it was completely cancelled again. And it's just like, no, you've got to start again. And I just can't imagine, you know, the the lack of support that is around there. Um, And unfortunately, it just shows in situations like that when you need it, that's when it isn't there. And it's always the way, isn't it? You know, we often find that. It's a trauma, you know, like, you know, if, if you're involved in a if you're involved in a car accident or something bad happens to you, it's a traumatic episode. And then your brain will react to that. And, you know, I don't need to tell you, but, you know, we've heard hundreds of stories over the years about people that have been involved in traumas and affected their bodies, affected their brains in all sorts of different ways. Um, People deal with trauma, you know, in in, in totally different ways. But if something like that has happened to you, then there's going to be a reaction. And before having this this conversation with you was around some of the online abuse that people get, um, especially footballers. And I was just like, you know, that, that can be traumatic as well, that if you've got 25,000 people on Twitter calling you, you know, I won't swear, but calling you a poor footballer because you've made a mistake or, you know, because someone's taken a picture of you and you are not looking your best, that, that can be very traumatic as well. And if you've got the strains and the stresses and the pressure of being a professional footballer, your team might be underperforming, you might be bottom of the Premier League, and then you've got that as well. That trauma is going to be, you know, something catastrophic to deal with. And I just sometimes think that we do, we do forget that footballers are, are human beings. They, you know, they do have feelings, they do have emotions, and I, and I know that because I've met, I've met lots of ex-professional footballers and a few current professional footballers, and you know, they are affected by these things. And I think this is where these types of conversations are so important. And you asked earlier on a little bit around what, um, what our long time 
aims and objectives are. And I think it is about normalising the conversation for absolutely everybody. It doesn't matter if you earn £100 million a year as a footballer or if you're, I don't know, 15 years of age and you're earning 20 quid a week and you've got a paper round. You know, like the, the, the conversation needs to be normalised for absolutely everyone. Yeah, definitely. And, and like you've said uh, about, you know, previous ex-footballers, they go through the exact same stress that everyone else does and often you know it's it's thought that people with money don't go through the same stresses just because uh their differences or their lifestyle might be different doesn't mean the effect same effects of trauma on the brain isn't just like yeah. ours and and that's what's often very interesting about that you know and, and looking now about men's mental health obviously at the moment you're you're primarily within men's mental health what is it that you would like to change or, you know, a topic that you feel that's what's really, um, yeah, yeah, taking the biscuit at the moment where you feel that, yeah, that needs um, striking out? I think there's three things that spring to mind instantly. Um, I think the stigma around mental health. Um, I know that this is something that a lot of people are currently campaigning for. Um, lots of charities similar to ours. Um, I think the, the language used is really important. Um, if anyone, you know, has a, has a real interest in this topic, I would strongly advise they go and do some mental health awareness training or some suicide awareness training, because like I said at the start of the call, I didn't know how to talk to my housemate about the fact that he was in a, you know, in a, in a suicidal state for, for quite a while. Um, so I think that's really important, the language used. Um, and the last thing is the messaging, the messaging from big organisations, whether it be large companies, employers, charities, I think the messaging needs to be consistent. And it's great that you see bits and bobs on TV. And, and again, I'm, you know, I'm sorry to go on about this, because I think I might mention it on another podcast. But, you know, ITV, uh, for quite a while, ran a, a campaign, Britain Get Talking. And it was it pop up in the top top left hand corner when you was watching Ant and Deck on a Saturday night. And I think they, they might have fronted it. And the you know, it was great that awareness was being focused on mental health. But what was the campaign? What was it? What was Britain Get Talking? What yeah. was the, you know, what was the prompt? What was the what was the outcome? So I think with things like Mental Health Awareness Week and, you know, those types of those types of week, it's good. It's good that we get people talking, but the conversation doesn't stop at the end of Mental Health Awareness Week. You know, we need we need consistent campaigns. We need consistent messaging. It is good that the government are pumping in ten million pounds into um, suicide prevention measures um, over the next few years. Um, I don't think that's close to being enough money. I think that probably needs to be trebled or, or quadrupled. Um, you know. NHS waiting lists in terms of mental health are getting longer. Um, there was a news article that I saw the other day that, you know, um, 999 emergency responders won't be taking um, mental health phone calls um, right. in the same way that they used to. You know, they're, they're going to be categorised unless it's an absolute emergency. Well, that's fine. But what's the alternative? Who else do you who else are you going to speak to? Yeah. In America, they have a version of 999 or 911 as it is in America, which are mental health first responder. So you can pick up the phone. I can't remember exactly what the number is, but it's a, I think it's a three digit number and you can call and you get straight through to somebody. You can't have that in this country. We kind of have this weird triage system where people, someone, someone's going to ask you some questions to kind of work out within 30 seconds whether you're going to get some help or not. Um, so I think the government are making the right noises and they're putting some money up um, to, to back that. But for me, it needs to be more. And 
I shouldn't say this, but I will say this. Organisations like Head in the Game shouldn't need to exist. You know, uh, suicide should not be a thing. It should never get to that point where someone feels uh, that's the only option. So, um, yeah, stigma, language use, messaging and more money from the government. I think they're the, they're, they're the big things for me. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And it's funny that you say that you shouldn't have to do this because even with my background, you know, I've got no right to almost do a mental health podcast you know I'm construction based I've always been in construction since I left school and here I am doing a mental health podcast where I'm trying to raise awareness but it's a subject too close to me where it's you know it touches almost a half if not a quarter of everyone I've sort of you know met <laughs> and yeah. it's so important but yeah, you're right. you know it's just got to continue because I feel like if I don't do it and I'm the average person well, the average person isn't going to care about it then, you know, and I just, I think that's what bothers me, that sometimes the average person just feels that it's it's not something that's relatable, but then they'll be the ones that need the support that they've wondered, mm. you know, why isn't it available and why, yeah, why isn't it there? And you make a really good point there, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons why we set this up. Like, if we're not going to do it, who else is? And... You know, we started, we, we, Head in the Game was not the first thing that we did. We had a, a charity football team, which we put together during lockdown. It was 20, 20 guys who had all played football together for pretty much most of their lives. And we said, look, should we, put, should we play some charity football matches, raise a little bit of money, give us something to look forward to once we're released from lockdown. And when we turned up and we played that game, I, remember, I vividly remember it. Everyone was down. Everyone was struggling. No one had anything to talk about. We'd been locked indoors for like, six months and I said to one of my um one, one of my friends there who turns out now to be one of the um uh, directors of heading the game and I said to him do you reckon if we got these guys together once a week for a I don't know a, a, a kickabout a training session get them talking I, I don't know do you reckon it would raise their well-being make them feel good and he laughed and then I laughed <laughs> You know, week on week, we, this idea just kind of grew and grew and grew. And, and, and now here we are work with over 500 people, you know, working professional football clubs, et cetera, et cetera. But it's if we're not going to do it, who is going to do it? And, you know, like I said at the start of the podcast, you know, I take my hat off to you, Toby, for doing this and, and, and starting a podcast like this and raising a really important um you know, raising a really important subject and also delivering a really important message. So, um yeah, no, you're doing a great job. And at the end of the day, it shouldn't be our job to do this, but it is. And, you know, maybe sometimes it's a good thing that, you know, Joe Public does it because sometimes that means that it, it comes from the heart a little bit more. Well, that's it. That is exactly it. And, you know, as a final note, what would you, your advice be to those who are looking to, um, you know, dabble into some sport activities? What, what would you say the benefits would be? I mean, to be honest, uh, I, I could spend all day promoting this, but I won't because I know you've got a, uh, <laughs> I know you've got a deadline there in terms of the podcast. Um, you know, listen, I'm going to take you back to um, lockdown again. You know, how excited were we for that one hour a day to get out and go for a walk? You know, walking around the park, walking around the estate, if you're lucky enough near a beach or a woodland. That's all we had. We had one hour every day and it was, you know, it was fantastic at the time. And a lot of that has kind of been carried forward for a lot of people where they've continued that positive, oh, I'm going to keep myself active. But not everyone, because it's tough. And, you know, real life has now kicked back in and jobs, families, all the pressures that we've already discussed. So my thing would be, my advice would be to to do it, but, but start small. You know, if you are 
you haven't been physically active for a while, you know, don't set yourself an unrealistic goal of I'm going to run the London Marathon in three weeks' time because you know that that that's that's quite a quite an unlikely thing to happen. I, I would say start small, set yourself small goals, whether it be, you know, if you're looking to lose weight, day one, I'm just going to start by drinking a glass of water and build from there. Um, in terms of the um, the physical activity and the sporting activity, you know, we like I said earlier, we work with over 500 men now. And even the guys who turn up on week one and they say, look, I'm really unfair. I haven't done any exercise for ages. By the end of 60 minutes, OK, they're sweating and they're panting, but they but but something changes in them and something changes in them because they have overcome that first hurdle. And I think if anyone's thinking about doing anything like this, once you get over that first hurdle and it becomes a little bit of a routine and you start to push yourself just that little bit each every day or every week or every month, dependent on what you're doing it has such a positive effect and you know i've been running this now or we've been running this now for nearly three years and it's made me it's made me a lot more um confident in myself but also i've become fitter through doing it and you know i I just facilitate the sessions and maybe run around for 10 minutes at the end so you know if it's making me feel better from doing that really really small amount of exercise two or three days a week then you know what people could achieve just by going for a walk or a wander or i don't know just just getting involved in any light sport it's it, it's going to help you massively definitely um you know you're all on social media where can people find you so um our website is www.headinthegame.co.uk and we're very lucky to have the same social media handle for pretty much everything facebook twitter instagram which is at h i t g c i c lovely that's excellent and it'll be great for the guests to um yeah catch up on what you're doing and see what events you have and possibly look at joining and i'm sure like you say the advice there that you've given will benefit some people to you know take that plunge and try and get talking more and and certainly try and get a bit more active um mark it's been absolutely fantastic to speak to you today thank you so much for you know shining a light in in the sporting world and activity world and certainly group therapy to show the benefits that it has and and what it can offer people yeah thank you so much for having me toby and like i said at the beginning i really appreciate coming on there thank you great to chat about sports there as it's such a popular topic and industry tying it in with mental health is really a great way to get people active and moving alongside with it really does boost people to be more open and chat with teammates or friends about the topic of what might be going in their lives definitely check them out and keep an eye on the events that they might be doing near you once again another week another great topic that we've looked into so thanks again for listening get in touch with our socials and i look forward to welcoming you back next week